feeling the trade show experience with online race industry week. So it's a real deal. There's real value. There's a trade show experience of a real sharing of information and insight. And then the catching up on all the new technology that's available, that's happening as well. So I'm getting my trade show Jones filled this year, thanks to Online Race Industry Week. And I see Billy dressed up in a racing suit. That's the way to go. I love that. That's awesome, man. Where's your helmet? <laughs> It's in the trailer. I'm actually wearing it. I'm at Sebring right now. I just got out of a race car. And as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to hop back in a race car. So oh, man, I want to jump. Can you slap? I am a failed race car driver. Uh, it's hard to admit, uh, but I have to say it. And I said it publicly. So uh, I, I know what I race is rental cars uh, <laughs> when I go to the track. But uh, that's pretty much it. So this is awesome, Bill. So what are you testing right now? Uh, I'm at the HSR race weekend in uh, Sebring, Florida. I'm at the Seven Hotel, so they've been gracious to allow me to use their Wi-Fi to enable me to uh, be here. It's great to be a part of this. Thank you guys, uh, Epart Trade and, and Brembo, for having me part of the segment. And like you were talking about earlier, it makes it really neat with this whole Zoom thing that I could be getting out of a race car, do this with you guys, and then go back to work and uh, be back in a car. So this is really neat. Oh, thank you. And, and it says every day we have a new thing. That's the first thing. Yesterday, uh, we had like a demo of a machinery. And they set it up uh, and we had a live demo. We were in machine shop. And I think Jeff Hammond, our, our, our presenter, was like, wow, you can do that on Zoom. So you can. And as a matter of fact, we have running this within the minute. It is 8.59. So Brad, we are going to move you back as an attendee and then we'll see you uh, later on today. Again, thank you for all your energy, enthusiasm and passion. Uh, we love to have you as a host. Thank you very much. We'll see you later. And uh, John, um, it is about, yeah, we have one more minute. And I'm still, I, I love this, like, you know, racing suit. And maybe I'm going to uh, get my old one for the next uh, session. <laughs> Okay, it's nine o'clock. Uh, on to you, John. And uh, before we start, we have a special video from Brembo. So I'm going to ask our producer, Reed, to launch the video. Thank you very much, and we'll see you soon.
All right, great video. Uh, welcome to the webinar, Performance Breaking from Commuting to uh, Competition by Brembo. We have Mike Messina, Motorsports Manager for Brembo North America. And then we have a great race car driver, Billy Johnson, 2016 IMSA GS uh, champion, also a factory Ford uh, driver, GT Le Mans, uh, driving Ford GT, Shelby GT 350, Shelby GT 500. Oh my God. And I just want to kind of have a bit of an introduction before we get to chatting. Um, and, and I would say everybody knows Brembo, but there's a lot to this company. So I, I want to kind of go over that. Uh, on the ePart Trade Showcase, uh, the company describes itself as Brembo is a world leader in the design, development, and production of braking systems and components for cars, motorbikes, industrial vehicles, and machinery for the OE market, aftermarket, and racing. And I think next year, I believe, uh, Brembo will be celebrating 60 years. Well, I I've been to Brembo. So I, I visited the Brembo facilities uh, right around Bergamo, Italy. It was a long time ago, but it's truly an eye-opening experience. I was still learning about the European racing scene at the time, and Brembo was crazy famous in Europe and one of the dominant brake suppliers in European racing in motorcycles and car racing and car racing right up to Formula One. And I saw firsthand the sophistication, the engineering excellence, and the dedication to the Brembo goal of being number one in race brakes. And they take this very seriously. They have for decades and they, they have the horsepower to get there. So I saw how and why Brembo was a, a brake on the Formula One cars. And also, this is really important, I, I saw a very current manufacturing process. So when I went into the Brembo factory floor, floor it kind of looked at that moment like the future of manufacturing, and it was the future of manufacturing, it included robotics on the factory floor a long time ago. And then eventually uh, in the States, for example, a lot of states started to become more and more looking like the Brembo factory. Uh, at the time I was there, uh, NASCAR teams were just waking up to a couple concepts. So when I first started in the racing business, no NASCAR team had an engineer on the staff. I remember uh, one press conference I attended and they, that was the press conference. We, we just hired an engineer, our first engineer. But the NASCAR teams were starting to also look overseas to see if there was technology overseas that could help give them an advantage. And uh, I knew after visiting Brembo that, okay, I, I know where you can get a break advantage. And it, it might have taken another year or two after my Brembo visit, but eventually I'm walking in a NASCAR cup uh, garage and I see my first set of Brembo brakes. And I kind of had that moment like, okay, there's a wave coming here. And, and you picture the big sedans of NASCAR racing. And then you picture, especially a road course where, where braking is speed and braking is key to a quick lap. And you can picture, okay, Brembo's gonna be a lot of answer to a lot of these teams. And then the wave happened and Brembo brakes were all over the place, not just NASCAR, but all forms of, uh, pretty much all forms of American racing. And then, um, by the way, it came to become like the cool brake they have on the, the cool sports car, the cool fast street vehicle. And I, I never really knew before Brembo that when it comes to performance parts on a car, one of the few parts you can kind of see visibly because you can't go under the hood. You know, if, you, if you see a cool car out, outside of a restaurant or in the shopping mall parking lot, you can't get under the hood, you can't get underneath the car, but you start looking at the car like, okay, this is a really great car. And you get down to the ground and you see, oh, Brembo bricks. Of course, it just makes sense. So that's kind of my little connection with uh, Brembo Brakes. I have great respect for this company. 
Uh, Mike, it's been quite a journey for Brembo. So there are decades capturing the European racing market, which happened and it, back 30 years ago, the United States was a little bit provincial on the global stage. And a lot of European companies didn't really want to go into the US market because it's kind of tricky. But it's been quite a journey for Brembo. Congratulations. Any introductory thoughts, Mike, that you want to share about Brembo? Um, thanks, John. Um, hopefully everybody can hear me okay. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. One, one thing you said that, that struck me, and it's very, very true, um, is that this company does take this mission very seriously. I mean, if, if they are very serious. Uh, we, as, as a company, we're very serious about what we do. Um, and um, I think, you know, we, we recently, um, we, we had Mario, we have a, a podcast that we do, Brembo Red, and we recently had Mario Andretti as a guest on it. And um, he talked about how racing is in the DNA of Italians. And, and I, I think that that passion and that seriousness, I think that's kind of where it at least starts. Um, but um, yeah, Brembo uh, as a company, a lot of people don't realize how long we've been around. The company was actually established in 1964 uh, into racing probably in the mid 70s, I think around 1975 with Ferrari Formula One. And um, really it started with, I, I think, uh, a disc package for that car with, uh, it was Nicky Lauda at the time racing for Ferrari and he won the title that year. Uh, we later graduated into producing aluminum calipers. From there, uh, in the early 80s, 82, 83, was uh, sort of the onset and the development of, of carbon brakes. And um, things have really just kind of uh, evolved from there. And now, you know, 30 some years ago, carbon was something you only saw in a Formula One car. And now, you, like you said, you can walk through a grocery store parking lot and, and see it. Um, so it's, uh, it has been a really long journey, um, the better part of uh, 50 plus years now. And, um, you know, you, you take it to up to today. And uh, today we are, we're literally involved in pretty much every racing series. Uh, you know, you mentioned NASCAR. We, we, we recently, I mean, this year's championship, we supplied Hendrick Motorsports with Chase Elliott winning the cup championship. Um, and um, obviously we're in Formula One where we supply all the brakes for Formula E, uh, IMSA, WC, uh, from Baja to Le Mans, um, pretty much I think every motorcycle in the GP field. Um, it's, uh, it's been a journey, you know, road cars. You mentioned road cars, everything from the new Ford uh, Mach-E electric vehicle to pretty much anything with a Dodge SRT badge, uh, Corvettes, Camaros, Cadillacs, and so on. Um, we, uh, I mentioned that we have a, a podcast now, which we do, which is really kind of developing sort of a cult following. We've had everybody from Jay Leno to, uh, like I said, Mar Mario Andretti, uh, Brembo Red is, is called, and um, recently launched uh, buybrembo.com, the, the parts, uh, replacement parts website. So um, yeah, we've, we've, we've <laughs> there's definitely a lot to do. Says we've come a long way. It's a big, big company um, nowadays. I think we're 25 sites in 15 countries. Wow. On three continents. So definitely proud to be a part of it. Congratulations to all. It's just, you know, there's some companies that have been fun for me to follow in, in the racing industry because they're really on a spectacular journey. And Brembo is one of those companies. And then Mike, real quick, uh, you're a race car driver too. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, well, a uh, little known. No, not really. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I gave it a shot, you know, um, at, but at some point, you know, I think, um, logic and reason conspired to end my racing career. Um, but uh, I did okay in motorcycles for a few years in club racing, the Southwestern divisions and of CCS and that kind of thing. But um, no, um, today, uh, that is not me. Uh, that's Billy. 
Okay, you're being very honest. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and uh, Billy, tell us about yourself and, and how you came to discover Brembo Briggs. Well, Brembo has been involved in motorsports and, and the car scene since before I was born. So it's just kind of been a, a natural part of my career to be using Brembo products, both uh, on the street and on the track and uh, worked my way up through the ranks from formula cars to low level sports cars on up to prototypes. And then uh, I had the, the honor to be a part of the Ford GT program, working on the development of both the road car and the race car. So Mike and I worked together quite closely on both of those programs. So it was very unique to be a, a race car driver who worked on the development of a race car and a road car, and especially uh, a car such as the, the Ford GT that wasn't taken from an existing road car and then turned into a race car. It was a clean sheet design. We're making a race car and a road car at the same time. We have to develop both of them. We're making brakes for both of them. And uh, yeah, definitely a really, really neat uh, experience to be a part of. And then I was uh, named one of the 12 drivers to raced the Ford GT at Le Mans for all four years, 2016 through 2019. So yeah, a really, really neat uh, and unique opportunity to be involved with racing, be involved with Brembo and uh, be a crucial part of, uh, or the brakes are a crucial part of the, the performance of, of cars in general. So uh, yeah, just, it's been really neat to, uh, and, f and also fun to be a part of it. And, and we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts stuff, but what does a racer look for in brakes? I mean, that, that, that's a, a, almost a personality type thing. Uh, what do you look personally for in brakes and what are you getting out of Brembo brakes? Brakes are really important. And if you're not a, a race car driver, it's easy to view brakes as or dismiss brakes because you're all about horsepower that makes sense you push the the gas pedal more horsepower it's faster and it's awesome but in racing most passing is done under the brakes so in brake zones so the performance of brakes are crucial to have brakes that are consistent is extremely important having brakes that are uh very linear and uh respond to your inputs are really important because when you drive a race car, braking just doesn't affect how well you, you stop the car. It affects how well the car handles down to the apex. So a lot of steering of a race car and the handling of a race car happens with the brakes. So the way you release off the brakes, the way the, the brakes perform, the way the brakes release affects the balance of the car. So people don't often don't view brakes as part of the handling equation, but they are a crucial part of the way a car handles. So when it comes to making passes, brakes are one of the most important things on a vehicle. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think uh, brakes are a go fast product. And again, like you said, we don't talk about brakes enough, but uh, especially on a road course, uh, brakes are key to a quick lap. And I, I've been in race cars, I never raced door to door, but there was a turn I remember up in Sonoma and you basically drive as hard as you can right towards a, a white brick wall. And, and you really start thinking about brakes a lot <laughs> on that journey, you know, because don't hit the brakes, don't hit the brakes. Don't, now hit the brakes. And, and you really just a goofball driver like me. I mean, you, you want to have confidence. You want to have a level of trust. 
in brakes that I don't know if you have a level of trust in, in an engine as much as you have to have a level of trust in your brakes <laughs> and the feel too, Billy, huh? Absolutely. Just like you said, if your engine blows, uh, your race is over. If your brakes fail, you're probably going to have a bad day. So having the, the trust and the consistency of the, the performance, like braking is also on the road, a safety device. Like It's how well the, the car can stop to avoid an accident. It's how you can control the car, the brakes, as well as the, the steering are how a driver and the throttle is how a driver makes a car go fast and makes a car do what it does. But if uh, if you lose the engine, not a big deal. If you lose the brakes or braking performance, that greatly affects your ability to make passes, to drive the car well, to make it handle well. And uh, in most professional race cars, you have a brake bias knob, so you can adjust the brake bias and the straight line braking performance and also the corner entry handling of the car in the cockpit. So it's a very uh, complex, dynamic, and important equation of both driving on the street and driving on a racetrack. It just seemed historically racers wanted horsepower. Then they got kind of smart about aerodynamics. Then they became kind of smart about weight. And then there was a time where they finally focused on braking, especially, you know, with road courses. And that was the rise of Brembo in the United States, especially when they just got much smarter about braking. And Billy, we're working with the Brembo team. And what type of brakes did you have on your first race car, Billy? I can't even remember. It was uh, the first car I drove was the Skip Arbor school car. And I don't quite remember what was on there. But also in that point in my career, I wasn't as uh, technically astute as I am today to be able to work with these engineers. So I, I can't even recall what were on them. But... The brakes were either at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew how to or was working on uh, mastering the craft of using them. But now everything that I drive, I, I know what brakes are on the car. <laughs> And Mike, uh, the Ford GT road car and the Ford GT race car that, that Billy's drove, driven, they, they have different racing packages. You, you just want to kind of go into that and, and explain to people what's going on there? Yeah, it's actually, that's a question I get a lot. Um, you know, how come the, 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 the road car has uh, this, this beautiful carbon ceramic setup and, and, and the race car has uh, this, this cast iron package and it almost seems like a step back in, in some people's minds. And it, and it in some ways it is, in some ways it's really not. But uh, a lot of that really has to do, uh, in, in professional racing, one thing you have to understand is the concept of BOP, balance of performance. Um, and that is a, a that, that's something that the sanctioning bodies use to maintain a level of parity for competitive aspects. Um, and so there, that's, that's, that's one level. Um, it, it applies to engines and power and aero and weights and all these other things, but it applies to brakes as well. Um, the other thing to consider there too is just in pure physical packaging. A lot of the road cars will have bigger 19, 20, 21, 22 inch wheels, whereas a lot of the race cars are limited to 18. So there's only so much you can really stuff inside the wheel to begin with. Um, and the other side of that is cost. You know, a, a lot of the, one of the primary goals of any racing sanctioning series is to do what they can to control costs. And wearing down a cast iron, wearing down a cast iron package is, is a lot less costly than burning up carbon. And uh, so as, as if you think of brakes as a consumable in terms of pads and discs and that kind of thing, um, it, it, it definitely, uh, definitely plays a role. Okay. And then uh, uh, from the technical side, uh, what are the limitations on cast iron brakes? Maybe just want to go into that a little bit. And, and some teams at Le Mans or Daytona can't go, can go the full 24 hours. 
without changing paths and this, some can't, why not? Uh, why don't you handle that one, Mike? So I, I think um, that there's, there's a lot of variables involved in that. Um, one of, uh, there's probably, when I think about that, I think about there's, there's really kind of three main variables. Um, pad compound is, is, is one of the top, uh, you know, conversations that we'll have on any given Daytona or long, long distance race event weekend. Um, and when it comes to pads, there's a compromise uh, between something that stops fast and wears long uh, versus something that, um, you know, wears fast and stops long. That's not the one you want. Um, so it's similar to tires, you know, typically a harder tire um, will last longer, but it's not going to have the grip. And, and there's a similar component in, in pads. And so that's, there's, there's always that compromise too. Um, the car itself is another factor. Some, some cars are just inherently better than others at using all four brakes to stop. And, and that's not just limited to placement of the engine, whether it's a mid-engine car, front-engine car, rear-engine car, what have you. Um, that's also, you know, the, the role there, there is, uh, you know, downforce, setup, uh, aero grip, all those things play a role in the car itself. And then uh, drivers, you know, um, drivers have different styles, different levels of, of uh, you know, attack, so to speak. And um, in, in general, I, you know, we, I, I've worked with drivers that are notoriously hard on brakes, no matter what they're driving and others that uh, doesn't matter what they're driving, they're easy on brakes. And um, so uh, that's, that's another variable. So it really becomes something of an equation, so to speak, when you're talking about setting up a, a brake package for a 24 hour race like Daytona or Le Mans. And then Mike, let me just ask one more follow-up question. It, it, it's always seemed to me that there's just an amazing amount of heat uh, when it comes to brakes. And, and sometimes maybe we forget that. Well, how does heat affect the braking and the brake caliper? And, and does it change in the course of a race? And, and it seems to be an engineering challenge, the, the heat in brakes. Well, there's, there's, there's two ways to that. Um, there's, there's a mathematical answer where you can literally calculate the amount of energy being made and how much thermal energy you're putting into it and thermal capacity of the disk. And you can, you can take that approach to it. Um, and, um, you know, heat, heat is really kind of the enemy of everything. You know, it, it saps engine power, it saps tire grip, it, it saps driver's energy, and, and it also saps braking energy. And, and, and it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting topic to get into when you're in brakes, because the job of a brake system is literally to turn forward kinetic energy into heat through a process of friction. And so managing that heat becomes a really critical element. And there's different ways to approach that, whether that's vein design, disc design, um, you know, pad compound has a lot to do with that. Uh, certainly structural integrity in the caliper and design there. The car, the, the, the cooling package on the car, you know, one of the advantages we had with Ford was developing the, the road car side by side with the race car. That was a car that had all the air you could ever possibly need. And um, so that was a, a really tunable package there. Um, but yeah, temperature, um, it's, it's a killer. You need a little, you need enough to wake up the pads and make sure everything's working, but not so much that you're cooking the fluid inside the caliper. You, 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 you need to find that, that, that sweet spot there. So it's, yeah, it's always a challenge. Sometimes uh, in a race at a tight turn, you can see the, the, the rotors getting hot. But one of the most dramatic images uh, that I've seen of a race part anywhere is a, a, a disc on a brake dyno. I mean, they have brake dynos. A lot of people don't know that. But that disc just turns to lava almost. And that's what it, <laughs> it does. It. Well, they, the cast iron starts to glow around 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Um, and um, yeah, I, you know, we, we, we see it quite often. We've, we've got rotors that pull into the pits and short tracks and NASCAR where as you're literally, as you're taking the disc temperature, uh, recording it, the thing is still red. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not uncommon. Yeah, a whole lot of respect for making a race break. And then we have all sorts of people watching us from around the world. So we have car builders, we have uh, race shops of all types and race teams. And then we have people who just want to go and be uh, successful racing at some point in the future of their career. Uh, Billy, how does a driver need to manage brakes on the racetrack and during a race? It, it may be not top of mind. A driver has a lot of things to think about. But let's talk about the brake portion of what you have to do uh, on race day. Well, it definitely depends from car to car, as, as Mike said, and, and brakes are such a complex thing, just like car setup. If you change one aspect of having a more aggressive brake pad in the front, that can affect the bias. If you have a brake pad that works in a different temperature range, then it might have different bite when it's colder when you first hit the brakes versus at the end of a long braking zone and then your bias could change and the goal of uh, developing a brake system and, and racing a brake system is trying to eliminate all those variables but as as mike said depending on the inherent nature of the car the setup the driver it's a moving target so that's another reason why you have a brake bias knob in the car is to adjust the bias based off of how the tire grip is changing and based off of how the the brakes are uh, performing so that's why consistency is really important and having a stiff caliper having a quality uh brakes and, and materials is so important for uh the performance of a race car you know uh, i think a lot of us picture uh the practice laps and uh before the race that people are trying to figure out suspension maybe some adjustments to the engine uh, but in practice laps leading up to the race are, are you making adjustments to the brakes Absolutely. Like I said, the brakes are such an important part of the performance of the car from lap time to uh, racing and passing to the, the handling balance. If you change brake pads and the release characteristics or the bias or uh, the performance changes, which it does, then that affects how well and the car enters the corner. It affects the balance of the car, how it enters the corner. So as a driver, you might have to change your uh, driving inputs and style you might have to change setup to accommodate uh changing in in brake adjustments so everything overlaps when you change setup stuff it affects your braking performance and handling if you change braking performance it can affect your handling like they they're one and the the same for the overall handling and performance of the car and as far as uh street guys go whether it's just uh, a street tuner or a, a track day guy Often brakes are just viewed as, yeah, bigger is better and uh, bigger pistons are better. It makes it stop better and faster, and that's all brakes do. No, they're, it's a really crucial part of the overall package of, of a car. And as far as uh, developing road cars, there's even more factors layered on top of just performance and, and handling that makes road car development sometimes uh, just as complex or more complex than racing. But racing, all you care about is performance. And yes, the, the target moves. But in road cars, you don't want squeaking brakes. You don't want inconsistent brakes either. And, and that's just a whole new world in, uh, in terms of what it, it's required to make a road car stop and, and handle well. And uh, yeah, most people just take it for granted and, and, 
yeah, there's a lot more than breaks than most people realize. Yeah, again, uh, I, I think uh, now I think of a break as a speed part and a go fast part. And, and I just picture there are times where you're, you're uh, making adjustments leading up to the race and you're getting a quicker lap time and you give credit for the quicker lap time to the adjustments in the breaks. Well, most people don't <laughs> always give that credit. So Mike sometimes goes uh, unappreciated, but it's <laughs> definitely uh, a crucial fundamental part of the performance, whether Mike gets recognized or not, but I appreciate and recognize Mike. <laughs> no, you know, it's interesting what Billy's talking about is, is as much as there's a technical aspect of braking performance, there's also a subjective aspect of it. So there's what the brakes are doing on telemetry or mathematically to the car on data and what you can see in terms of stopping power and, and all of these things. But then there's also the way that it actually feels to the driver and what he's able to sort of interpret from his foot on the pedal and those types of things. And I was able to modulate it. So yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You, you, you can have brake packages that perform really, really well technically, but the driver just may not like how it feels. And so sometimes the car can actually be faster, but the driver might be a little slower. Um, and, and so there is, there's always that, that, that balance to find. And then um, I'll, I'll grab a couple questions from the audience. So for uh, members of the audience, you can go down the, the chat option at the bottom of the Zoom screen. You can type in a question for our guests here and I'll, I'll put the questions to the panelists. So uh, we have a, a diverse group of people, again, from professional car builders to people who are just kind of entering racing. They found online racing industry week and they wanna ask questions. For the grassroots uh, competitors like autocross, ro grassroots road racing, uh, can you discuss the pros and cons of slotted versus cross drill versus venting rotors, uh, Mike? Sure. Um, so cross drilled, um, I, I think cross drilled speaks mainly to aesthetics these days. Uh, there was probably a time when it was the 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 understood way to to ventilate. So. When, when you have a pad making friction against a disc, you're, you're, you have a lot of gases. It's a very violent inter interface that's going on there. And there's a lot of things happening. Um, you have particles disintegrating, things welding and melting, and you have gases that are being emitted from all these things that are burning off from that pad. Um, those gases, when compressed, can sort of form a boundary layer between the pad and the, and the, uh, and the disc. And it's almost, it's not exactly the same, but I would almost liken it to hydroplaning. And so you need a way to evacuate those gases and, and get them out of there. Um, cross drilling is obviously one way to do it, um, but maybe not the most effective way. Um, these days, everything has gone to slotted. I mean, slotted by far is, is, is the um, pattern of choice, so to speak, in, in, in racing. Um, you still see a lot of cross drilled out there, and I think a lot of that speaks to aesthetics. It's my personal favorite. Um, but from a performance standpoint, a slotted disc will always evacuate um, and gas a pad more effectively than a, than a uh, drilled rotor will, especially in a racing application. Okay, I have another question that's a really good question. And uh, I think a lot of people may have asked themselves this and, and now we can get an answer. So, so Mike, what's the advantage of more pistons in the caliper? <laughs> it, it used to be two per caliper, then four, now we have six and even eight. So is, is more pistons always better or not necessarily? Can, can you go over that for us? So, uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's not like engines, you know, uh, there, in, in engines, there's, there's no replacement for displacement, right? Um, in caliper design, it's, it's, it's a lot more than just that. Um, ultimately, your clamping force on a caliper is a byproduct of your total line pressure and your at multiplied by your total piston area. So you can have more pistons, but really the point of a piston is to exert force on the backside of the pad. 
And you want to have that pad, that force evenly distributed. So the larger your pad gets, typically the more pistons you want to exert that pressure so that that pad is more uniformly meeting the disc. Um, what you'll tend to see is that as there becomes a higher count of pistons in a the caliper, they tend to get smaller because there's only so much clamping force you can actually use. Um, and so that's one aspect. So no, not more pistons is not always better. It doesn't always equate to more stopping power. Um, you know, if you do the math on the piston area, we have some four piston calipers that have very large pistons and we have some six piston calipers that have smaller pistons and the two piston areas between the two of them are very similar to each other. Um, but they have different shaped pads and so you need to exert that force differently. Um, the other question I get a lot too is that sort of tags onto that is, well, if I have two four piston calipers and one caliper has larger pistons than the other, then isn't that a better caliper? And the answer to that is, is typically no. Um, a lot of times what, what Brembo does is we tend to use smaller pistons in our caliper because we rely on more line pressure to get there with the clamping force. So um, we can change master cylinder sizing and we can do all of those things and we can achieve the same clamping force with smaller pistons. The byproduct of that is that you have less fluid total in the system. So there's less room for compliance. Um, and the, 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 the challenge then is that, well, now you've got a lot of pressure in the caliper. You need a very, very, very stiff caliper to not flex with all that increased line pressure. And that costs money to do. And that's, that's where our development in R&D is really strong is that we build inherently a very stiff caliper. So we can have a strong caliper with smaller pistons, a higher line pressure. And what that equates to is less fluid and better feel, more control, more modulation, which is something that guys like Billy love. And um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those, I'll, I'll try to sh cut it short because it's one of those topics I could talk about for hours, but um, hopefully that, that answers some of it. Well, you know, when I visited Brembo, the idea of talking about brakes for hours, uh, <laughs> you, you can do that. I've done it. I, I, I saw it and I experienced it. And there's reasons to talk about brakes for hours. I mean, it's, it's much more complex, I think, than people uh, imagine. Uh, Billy, you did a lot of development on the Ford GT500, a car with 700 plus horsepower. But what were the key elements to finding the right mix of a track day race package uh, to Road One? That's really difficult. And just not too many years ago, you'd have really fast cars, even supercars that you can't track for more than a couple laps without burning up the brakes. And often, uh, you'd have to put race pads or race oriented pads to be able to lap on a racetrack for extended periods of time without fade and losing your brakes. But now in, in just the, the last few years, manufacturers across the board are making brake packages where you could have a quiet pad or reasonably quiet on the street that you could drive every single day and they work when they're cold and you can take it to a racetrack and beat on it all day long, as fast as you can go, as fast as I can go, and not have brake fades. So just as an enthusiast growing up in uh, motorsports and growing up liking cars, I am just so happy to, to see the, the brake technology getting better where you can take a performance car or a lot of performance cars to racetracks, drive them all day long without changing brake pads, and then uh, drive home and drive it every single day, drive it to the grocery store. But to be able to do that, you need bigger rotors, you need to have good pad compounds, you need to have good calipers, stiff calipers. And and let me tell you, making a uh, relatively heavier car like the GT500 that has 760 horsepower, 
and turn supercar lap times for an entire stint and entire fuel stint all day long is a massive, massive challenge. But Ford was able to, to do that. Brembo was able to uh, do that with just the, the sheer size of the, the rotors, which are massive. They're bigger than my forearm. And uh, the, the rotors are, I think, I could be wrong, but I think the rotors were the same size or bigger than the, the original 1967 GT500's wheel. So having a, a brake that's, that's that large uh, was crucial to make to stop that much horsepower, to stop that much weight, and to stop that much speed that the GT500 is, is capable of. It's great having you on here, Billy. That's really good insight into the realities. You're doing a great job. Uh, now, electrification is a big discussion in racing. We don't know for sure if we like it or we don't, you know, because uh, we, we can't figure out uh, what a race car is like without noise. But at the same time, you get like instant torques. I mean, so there's some fun stuff about an electric vehicle and, and they're making their way into racing and, and uh, winning Pikes Peak and there's a Formula E series. Um, what is unique in terms of stopping uh, an EV vehicle, Mike? Is it, is it different? Is it special in some way? So when it comes to actually stopping um, there, I mean, you know, you're stopping a car from a high, high rate of speed and you, you have to do the job. Um, but the, I think sort of the priorities tend to change a little bit um, with electric. There's some different elements that play a role in that. Um, you mentioned Formula E. We, we've spent a lot of time in, in, in development on electric with, with, with electric vehicles, both in the motorsport side, we do supply uh, the entire series of Formula E. Uh, all the brake packages on those cars are, are supplied by Brembo. Um, but um, the, the other element of that is, is brake by wire and integration into regenerative braking. Um, so now you're taking sort of a software approach and you're trying to have something that feels natural and organic, but in, in a way is somewhat simulated. Uh, I hate to use that term, but um, so you're using electronics um, in, a, in, a, in a different way now. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of it. Uh, the other big priority there is, well, there's two others. There's weight, um, obviously weight of components, um, because you're looking for things that anywhere you can save drag, uh, that comes in weight. And then also drag itself, you know, the, the ability of the caliper to pull the pads off the disc and and, and release it, um, that's, a, that's another critical element that, that we've spent a lot of uh, focus with, uh, with electric vehicles. Uh, Billy, have you uh, driven an electric vehicle in terms of uh, on a racetrack or in a racing situation? Yes, I've uh, driven a couple of them and also I had the opportunity to drive a Mach-E as well. Okay, did, did you like uh, the electric vehicle? I mean, it, it's got a pretty cool torque off the turns, I guess. That's a, a tough question. We're all laughing for uh, the same underlying reasons, but uh, yes, yeah, so you have the, the instant torque, you have, uh, it, it's a different dynamic and it should be viewed as a little bit differently. So from a purist standpoint of liking manuals and shifting by myself and uh, rowing through gears and hearing the, the noise and having that whole oral experience and, and that is part of, especially from an enthusiast standpoint, is a really important part of uh, the enjoyment and engagement of, of driving. So since you're missing a lot of those different components in electric cars, but having uh, different benefits, it, it really is just a, a completely different viewpoint and world. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, when we think of uh, Brembo, I think a lot of us think of the calipers, but uh, uh, Brembo offers brake pads as well, Mike, is that correct? 
We do. Um, yeah, it's we're we're one of the few companies out there that really um, is is the total package. Uh, everything from you know obviously calipers and discs uh, to uh, friction to fluid uh, to master cylinders. Um, literally, we we could we we could we could handle a brake package on you know something on a race car, for example, um, where uh, we are literally a one stop shop and. Um, you know, pads is, is it's, I, I, I compare um, the difference between, you know, a lot of people tend to think discs and pads are very similar to each other. And I always compare them to wheels and tires. You know, they're two very different animals in right. terms of manufacturing and R&D, what it takes to make a good tire, what it makes, takes to make a good wheel, what it takes to make a good brake rotor and what it takes to make good friction are completely separate. And, and understanding how both work is, is critical. And then obviously, if you have a great understanding of the vehicle itself and being involved from from initial concept all the way up through production helps. Um, but uh, yeah, friction is, is something that um, we've really started diving into, I'd say more in depth in the past several years in racing. We've, we've, we've come up with some great pads and, um, but that's, a, that's just something that is always evolving. That's just, that's, 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 a, uh, that's a division that never sleeps for sure. Mike, another question from the audience. What are the key components to responsive brake feel? Okay, that's a really good question. Is fluid pressure a more important factor than pad composition and piston area? Mike? So uh, the, I, one of the terms that I hear a lot about with pads is hard pads, soft pads, that kind of thing. There is a level of compressibility in all pads. Um, I would say it's probably not the most critical element. Line pressure, the more of it you have, the more opportunity there is for compliance in the system. And what I mean by compliance is flex, anything that flexes. So that could be the brake pedal itself. That could be the rubber lines that connect the hard line on the car to the caliper itself at the wheel. That could be the caliper, you know, as, as it's pressurizing, it wants to move apart. Um, and so line, line pressure is, is what you're feeling in the pedal. And when that pedal is moving or getting soft, that's the fluid either getting hot and giving up or that's the caliper moving or things starting to walk around. Uh, so all of those things sort of play a role. The, this is part of the reason we try to remove fluid. More fluid is more opportunity for more compliance. So we try to remove fluid from our system. So we try to go smaller pistons and higher pressures to improve feel. Stiff calipers is a, is a really, really big part of that. And, um, you know, obviously even there's even differences in fluid. You know, we have a, we have a brake fluid that is more, I'd say stiff, you know, in layman's terms than, than some of the other brake fluids out there. And um, so all of those things play a role. It's, it's, there's uh, you know, it's almost like saying, well, what, what can make more horsepower in an engine? Should I just do a cam or should I do a set of heads or no, really it's the whole package. You know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Uh, and that's another concept I'm, I'm glad is coming out of this webinar that uh, the brakes are complex. They're just not simple. They're complex. And you really do have to work on them like you're working on horsepower to really uh, get some speed, especially on a road course. Uh, here's another question. What is the dry boiling, wet boiling point and pH of your racing DOT for oh motorsport brake fluid? How often should the racing brake fluid be flushed and changed in motorsports events? Do you still prefer DOT4 racing brake fluid or are you introducing DOT 5.1 racing brake fluids lately? Racing yeah, brake I, I, I compare brake, well, I'm not gonna say that. Um, brake, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of flavors of brake fluids these days. Um, what we like about our brake fluid is 
one of the things we like about it is the compressibility factor, which I mentioned. Um, it's, its ability to stay sort of rigid and hold its viscosity at temperature. Um, you know, wet boiling points nowadays are up around 400 degrees. I think dry boiling points are up around, you know, six, 650 plus. Um, one of the things to consider, though, is that in a race vehicle application, if you consider what determines the difference between wet and dry is a standard DOT test. And most guys at the professional level, they're bleeding their brakes every event. You know, they're flushing fluid every event. This is the pro level. And so their moisture content is always going to be something close to zero or as close to zero as you could conceivably get. And so they're always going to be operating much up towards that drier boiling point. I would tell you though that if you've got a caliper that's if you've got if you've got a caliper that's running 500 plus degrees, you've got bigger problems than your brake fluid. Um, you you need to cool that thing down, and and you know your brake fluid may not give up, but there's going to be other things that are going to give up. So um, that's 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 one aspect of it. The other thing we like about the floor, our fluid is the way it interacts with all of the rubber parts, the master cylinders, the seals, and that kind of stuff. When it gets hot, it has less of, less of a, a a tendency to start chewing up things. And um, so that's another thing that we look at. Okay. Uh, another question from the audience. Hi, I'm a mechanical engineer for a solar car team, race car team. And I wonder how do you set up the correct braking balance when using a vehicle with regenerative braking? Have, have you tackled that, Mike? Yeah. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that it takes a couple of guys that are a lot smarter than me. Um, and um, you're talking about software integration, you're having to understand the amount of load being put on the brakes when it's under regen versus when it's not, varying levels of regen and how that regen kicks in. Um, and um, there, there, is, there is an equation to all of that that uh, is way above my, uh, my intellect grade, I'm afraid. Then there's, the, then there's the subjective factor on top of that to try to make that integration, which may work mathematically, but doesn't feel right to what most people expect it to. So having a, a driver that can communicate those differences to the engineers is uh, a really important part. And that's why I, I've had some of these opportunities as being kind of that middle ground of giving the, the engineers that kind of feedback. And, and that's really important because often you can have stuff on paper, it makes sense and it should be this way, but the subjective side is it's out in left field. So trying to fine tune uh, it to that level is just uh, on top of what mathematically should be correct. Uh, that's that's very good uh you know a lot of the race teams that are fast uh, part of the reason they're fast is, is it's, they have a driver that can communicate back to the engineering team really accurately what's going on with the car i, I know we have data acquisition but you know the driver wants what the driver wants and if, if you can articulate it uh that that makes for a faster uh race team and at any level of racing from as simple as brake bias to uh, brake compounds. And then probably the most complicated part of brakes is that, as Mike said, that integration of regen with brakes, that makes the whole racing complexity and road car complexity to a, another level when you try to integrate that kind of system and electronics into that. And uh, we're in the industry at the forefront of that. We're just getting our uh, feet wet in in that still it's in, in its infancy and has a long way to go to make it seamless and uh, as if the brakes are just like normal brakes. Uh, it's a great discussion. We kind of run things up to about the 50 minute mark so we can kind of keep things going, going on to the next event. And I, Mike, I've been asking a lot of questions. Have, have, is there something you want to discuss? Is there something you want to talk about? Um, I, I, 
I think one of the one of the I saw one of the questions that came up was, you know, how does the amateur racer, how should the amateur racer monitor brake temps? Um, and and brakes are in general one of the least understood aspects of the car. They typically tend to be taken for granted. And and so a lot of times I find when I'm trying to walk somebody through how to make improvements in their package, um, a lot of times I'm having to gain an understanding of where they are now. And most people don't generally have a very good understanding of where they are now in terms of temperatures and how hot things are running. And so the question I get a lot is, you know, well, how could I monitor that? And, you know, shy of infrareds and telemetry, which is not something that most people are going to have the, the resources to handle, um, temperature paint. There are brake temperature paints out there that you can paint on your discs and in the, the cooling veins that will change color with temperature and at least give you an idea of where you're at, um, at least if you're getting hot enough or if you're getting too hot based on the level. And you can, you can go into this and it's, you can research it, but disc temperature paint is a fantastic thing. Caliper temp stickers, they will pop at certain temperatures and tell you about what your operating temperatures are in your calipers. Gaining an understanding of where you're at now to establish a baseline will help you determine the correct ways to move forward if you're gonna make changes. And that's a critical element to, to the whole thing. So um, I saw the question come up and I thought, you know, I'd really like to address that. Yeah, that's a great question. And then Billy, uh, we're gonna be running out of time soon. Um, what, what are your plans for 2021? You, you wanna share that with our audience? I wish I could, but that's uh, not to be announced yet. So if uh, if you follow me at all, Billy J Racing, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, okay. We, we will for sure. And then, uh, you know, as I talk about Brembo, I have in my mind that I, I wish everybody could go to Bergamo and, and get the tour that I did of the engineering department and the manufacturing facility. Uh, Mike, have, have you been to the facility back there? Um, I have, uh, obviously not this year, but um, it's it's, uh, it, it is, it, it's, it's um, you know, especially the, the Stizzano building that they have. And um, some people are familiar with the Kalama Terrasso, the, 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 the big giant red wall that you can see from the highway. Um, but um, it, it's, it, 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 like I said, it's, it's something that this company, it's, 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 there's, there's just an inherent passion that exists. Um, and, and a lot of the people that, that work for this company. Um, and uh, for me, I, I, you know, I've been with Brembo now since 2004. And um, so it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great 16 years and, and I like working with car guys. And, and it's interesting to see, despite the different cultures and the thousands of miles that separate us, we all have that same sort of passion and drive and focus. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, the days of, uh, you know, vaccines and uh, social distancing and all of that stuff sort of coming to the end and, and getting back to normal life and, and getting back over there. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Well, this is great. And then I just want to say, you know, it, it was really a great video that we started off with. It is very sexy and shows racing all over the place. And I always think a, a company like Brembo would be a great video would be the engineering department. Now it's not, it's going to be not sexy, but excuse me guys, but I mean, if the engineering department and the manufacturing of Brembo, I mean, I, I, it's, it's brilliant what's going on there at, at Bergamo. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people who like to see that. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's um, I don't know, we have some very good looking people working for us. It might be sexy, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah no, it's, you know, we have, uh, so, but uh, no, it's, um, it is. It's. It's. There's. There's so much more that goes into it that, that goes into it than, than most people realize. And um, you know that particular video that we showed at the beginning. I love that. That was made up of all individual photos, twenty some thousand photos. So almost as many as I have on my phone. 
And um, it's, uh, yeah, I, there, there is so much to the story. There's so much that goes on in racing that a lot of people just really don't even see. And, and, and Brinks just plays a part of that. There's, there's a lot that goes into all of this. Well, this has been a great webinar. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Mike. Uh, the whole concept is, uh, you know, uh, brakes are a go fast part, especially on a road course. And number two, uh, brakes are complicated. Okay. So it's complicated as the motor and, and there's adjustments and there's decisions to be made and there's the right brake for your racing application. And then, uh, you know, work with Brembo to work through that. They have the experience, the expertise, they've been there and they can answer your questions. So, uh, this has been a, a really uh, good webinar for me. Thank you so much. Francis, what's well, next? It was, was a good webinar for all of us. So thank you uh, very much. And uh, Billy and Janice, because I know what you're going to be doing next. <laughs> so <laughs> I track, uh, wishing you the best. Mike, you are perfect. You have a you know, such a casual, easy way to explain what breaks, you know, is an and you make it so simple for all of us to really understand and you know, you know bravo registering on epar trade is easy fill out your name email phone number and create a secure password next select your business type choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose claim company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose join company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.